0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Screaming in Silence podcast Motorcycle Madness. For most of us, severe pain is thankfully a fleeting experience, but for some, like myself, it's a permanent companion. For the past 25 years, everything I have done or experienced has been accompanied by chronic pain. Yet, to the surprise of most, I consider myself one of the luckiest people alive and I'm thankful for this journey. Through this podcast series, I'll share with you my story and the insights I have gained that have allowed me this perspective. As you'll be aware, my journey is one of overcoming adversity, of taking control back when it appears it has been stripped of you. From adjusting to living with one working arm, to learning how to control pain and its effect on me, I've faced every battle that I've encountered and successfully navigated my way through them. Most of these battles have been ones I couldn't avoid, so I was forced to find my path if I wanted to keep living the best life I could. But there was one battle that I was never forced to fight, one I could have been well excused for not considering taking on, and that is returning to motorcycling. It was, after all, a motorcycle accident that was the cause of my journey. I know all too well the risks involved. After the accident though, the motorcycling bug was still there. I remember being asked at the time if I resented riding now. Now that I was permanently injured and living in pain. Of course I didn't. It wasn't my bike's fault. It was my own actions that led me to where I was. There was no other reason. I've heard people say the corner I crashed on is unsafe. No, it's not. The speed at which I approached it was unsafe. People have said to me, ah, motorcycle accident, huh? Dangerous things, aren't they? Once again, I don't believe so. It was me in control of the bike. It was me that was riding dangerously that day. Without a doubt, there is an element of danger involved in the appeal of riding. I've been vulnerable to the world around us, but that is countered by being in control of that danger. As a motorcyclist, your safety is your responsibility. I didn't for one moment regret riding motorcycles, nor did I regret the ride I took that mid-October afternoon. As I said previously, I was eager to return to my job in the motorcycle industry. But at the time, I didn't think I would ever ride again. I honestly felt that part of my life was done and dusted, thanks for all the good times, it was a blast, but see you later. Little did I know that motorcycles were to become a big part of my future. Before we get there though, let's go back to where it all started. While I have lived all my adult life in Christchurch, New Zealand, I was born and grew up in a small town called Lincoln, around 25 kilometers out of the city. I always liked this, as the city was close enough to take advantage of all it had to offer, but far enough away that we had a lot of open space and freedom as kids. Having two older brothers who rode motorcycles meant I was exposed to bikes from a young age. They looked fun and dangerous, exhilarating. I remember on long car trips, my mother would tell me to count horses I saw to ease my boredom and no doubt shut me up from asking are we there yet. Instead, I said I would count the motorcycles I saw. The first time I rode one, I would have been at most 10 years old. I was home alone and found the key to one of my brother's bikes, a Honda C90 Step-Through. These are very easy bikes to ride, low seat height, no clutch and a three-speed gearbox. Sitting astride the bike on its main stand, I started the engine and put it into first gear, then started rocking it back and forward, skipping the now spinning back tyre on the concrete pad below. Eventually it gripped well enough and propelled itself off the stand. I was riding. I spent the next 30 minutes tearing around our section, with a grin from ear to ear. The feeling of being in control of the bike was amazing, but I knew I had to stop soon, otherwise my brother would come home to find the bike still hot from my exploits. I was hooked. There was no better feeling in the world as far as I was concerned. From that day forward, motorcycles became my passion. As I was too young to ride on the road, I spent the next few years riding off-road bikes, tearing around friends paddocks or racing up and down the grass verge on the main road we lived on. When I reached the age that I could get my license, my father approved me to get my bike permit, but wouldn't give in to my repeated attempts to get him to buy me a bike. With the help of my oldest brother though, I was able to purchase my first proper road bike around the age of 17, an early 1980s Suzuki GSX 750. It wasn't the sports bike I lusted after, the GSX-R 750, but it was still a fast, powerful bike that I could now ride where and when I wanted. It wouldn't take too long though before I would end up with my dream bike, the GSXR. I was introduced to this groundbreaking model through a brother's friend. He had a 1985 model in red and black, the very first edition. As he worked not too far from where I attended school in the city, I would get rides in the morning on the back of his bike. It didn't bother me that it meant I got to school an hour before classes started, or that some mornings were just above freezing. I was going to school on the back of one of the fastest motorcycles you could buy. Over 30 years later, I can still vividly remember listening to that bike start, watching it come to life, the smell of it as it warmed up. I was sold. I needed to have one. And this was further cemented when I saw his bike parked in town one night when I was around 16. Our rugby team had been fundraising late at night at the local newspaper's print facility for a trip to Australia, and after I left in my car, I spotted his bike. Totally unexpectedly, he threw me his helmet and key and told me to go have some fun. I will never forget riding this bike for the first time. It felt like a race bike with lights. So responsive, so fast, so much fun that I didn't want to give it back. Fast forward 4 years later, an opportunity finally came my way. A local bike shop owner had two 1985 GSX-RC fifties in his collection, both in my favourite colour scheme of blue and white, both ex-production race bikes that were in great condition and back in road trim. He was happy to sell them to me for a decent price but I really wasn't in the position to buy them. I mentioned it to one of my brothers, and he decided he would buy the better of the two for himself. Maybe I could bag a ride on that, I thought, so I was more than happy for him to go ahead. But with the birth of his first child nearing, he felt it was best to sell the bike not long after, and I put my hand up for it. That's the story of how I ended up with my first GSX-R750, and now with my dream achieved, I was in seventh heaven. I rode it everywhere I could, And with my best friend also owning one, we had numerous adventures together. I was immensely proud of that bike. It was my pride and joy. And then, on one particular weekend in mid-October 1997, my world completely changed. I still remember the sound of scraping metal and plastic, of the engine revving wildly as I was thrown from the bike. I remember thinking about how much damage I'd done to the bike as I lay on the side of the road, wondering how much I would need to spend to fix it. I only ever saw that bike again once. My brother admitted to me recently that he felt some responsibility for my accident, that he bore some guilt. I look at it in a different way. Maybe that accident saved my life. I'm still here, that is guaranteed. And so is he. Maybe things would not have turned out as well as they have had he not sold me that bike. So, hand on heart when I say this, mate. Thanks for selling me the bike, bro. Lying flat on my back in hospital, now aware of the seriousness of my injury, I figured my motorcycling days were over. I had no regrets or bad feelings towards motorcycles, it was just an accident that I had caused. Some friends bought in bike magazines, unsure of how I would respond, but I welcomed their presence. I no longer looked at them with dreams of buying the next model, but I still loved everything that motorcycles represented to me, and I was keen to get back to the bike shop I worked at, to be surrounded by bikes again. I may have been unable to ride, but I still wanted to be involved with them. It would be only a few weeks after my accident that I would ride one again though, albeit a very short ride. A friend came to visit me at home one weekend after I got out of hospital. He offered me the chance to take his bike around the block. Although hesitant at first, it didn't take too much convincing from him and my girlfriend to give it a go. Not having the controls modified for me meant that it wasn't an easy thing to do and I wobbled my way around the block, unable to use the clutch. While this experience didn't immediately catapult me back into riding, It proved that it was possible. It would take another three years though until I finally decided I was ready to get involved with riding again. I was working at a car yard at the time and on occasion when I needed to fuel up a car I would drive down to the petrol station we used. One of the staff there rode a bike, a Honda VT250 Sparta. We got to know each other well enough to be on a first name basis and I commented to Jonathan one day that I might consider getting back into riding if the right bike came up. This was when he said he was thinking of selling his bike and asked if I was interested. Suddenly the realisation of what I was getting into dawned on me. This was no longer idle talk of riding again, an opportunity was right in front of me. Despite how daunting this first felt, I seized that opportunity. We negotiated a price, shook hands, and arranged a day that I'd come to his work to pick it up. Talk about a rush. My whole world was now in hyperdrive. I had made a commitment to return to riding. I was nervous and excited. Was this the right decision? Where would I first ride to? How would I make it work? How cool would it be to ride again? Am I being naive in thinking I can even ride properly? This was a time before widespread internet use. I had never seen or heard of anyone attempting to do what I had now committed to. Was I biting off more than I could chew? So many nervous questions, countered by so much excitement at riding again. Even now as I remember those feelings, a massive grin is on my face. It really was a huge moment. I've told Jonathan many times how much this meant to me. He really was the catalyst for so many changes in my life. Finally, the day arrived. The day I would for the first time in over three years ride my own motorcycle home, paralysed arm and all. The excitement and fear I held made the wait for closing time seem like an eternity. Was it actually going to happen? Would I soon be swinging my leg over my own bike, thumbing the starter, selecting first gear and then riding off? Remembering that first awkward ride after my accident, I realised, without a clutch hand, how would I even select first gear? I told myself I would figure it out when I got there. When I arrived at the service station, I saw the bike, but this time I saw it in a totally different light. Prior to this, it was just another motorcycle, to be honest, one that I never would have given a second look. It wasn't a sporty bike, nor was it fast or powerful, but now I saw it differently. I saw it as my companion who would lead me on a journey back into riding, who would help me get back that feeling I once loved. I remember looking at it in the car park and being awestruck by the potential it held. Jonathan was still working so there was no time for me to stop to enjoy this moment for too long, he had a job to get back to. We shook hands, he asked if I would be okay. I nodded, not really knowing, and climbed on board. I remember thumbing the starter button, the little 250cc V-twin engine winding over before catching and coming alive. At first I thought I might be able to use my right hand to operate the clutch, but there was no way that was possible. The only option was to walk the bike up to speed, then push the gear lever down to select first and ride off. Waiting until I could time the traffic lights to be green and have no other traffic around, I did exactly that. It worked, and before I knew it, I was riding along the main street of Christchurch, riding my own bike, riding with a paralysed arm, riding a dream I thought impossible. Repeating this walking process every time I stopped for the traffic lights, I safely made my way home. After parking in my driveway, I turned the bike off and just sat there. I had done it. Despite everything that had happened three years ago, I would bloody well done it. I was on top of the world. If you've ever had something you loved doing ripped away from you, not only ripped away but changed your life forever as a result, then had that experience come back despite all the odds, you will know what I mean. If you haven't, then sorry, words cannot express the feeling of accomplishment I had that day. Before I could get too ahead of myself though, I needed to work out how I was going to operate the bike properly. Almost every motorcycle ever produced requires the use of a clutch to take off and stop. It was just something I couldn't avoid. As I sat on the bike and pondered how I could do this, it occurred to me that my thumb on my right hand was free a lot of the time. It is required to grasp a throttle, but it could be free enough to operate a lever. I got into my car and drove to a nearby motorcycle parts supplier, where I found a suitable clutch lever and perch to attach to the right bar. Back at home and after only a few minutes I had made room for and mounted the clutch lever where I needed it. I fitted the clutch cable to the new lever and gave it a try, and lo and behold it worked. I could now operate the mechanical parts of the motorcycle with ease. It was then that I realised this was more than just possible, it was a reality. I could now ride the bike anywhere with confidence, and you can believe me when I said I did exactly that. It only took one ride out on the open road for me to feel at ease again, to feel at home on it. There was no looking back. This wasn't about freedom. I had a car for that. This was about taking back control, getting back a big part of my life I thought I had lost. This was, to me, my Mount Everest. It was about deciding to do it because I thought it couldn't be done, but I needed to find out for myself. It was about so much more than just riding. It was about living. I spent the next couple of years riding that little bike as much as I could. I didn't care that it wasn't fast or powerful, not at all. It was about so much more than that. But as much as I loved what that bike gave me, I yearned for more, much more. I wanted to get back on sports bikes again. That's where my true love was. What I really wanted though was another GSX-R750, of course in blue and white again. But this time be one of the newer models Suzuki had introduced, the GSX-R750 S-Rad. But would that be possible? The bike I was riding now made maybe an optimistic 40 horsepower and weighed 150kgs. The GSX-R I wanted made triple that power and weighed only 30kgs more, a much different beast. I decided that a lesser powered sports bike were the way to go, so I bought a Suzuki RGV 250, a highly strung scalpel of a bike loosely based on the Grand Prix machines of the time. This was a fun bike, but very uncompromising in its design, needing to be ridden hard to get the best out of it and uncomfortable around town. They also had a reputation for a particular mechanical failure and mine was no exception, the engine one day finally giving in. Around this time my new girlfriend, who would go on to become my wife, and I travelled to her home country of Japan. We had met here in New Zealand and started dating before moving in with each other and now I was joining her to go to Nagoya to meet her family and friends. I had never been to Japan before and was excited about the prospect, not only to get to know more about her, her family, her life in Japan, but also to visit the bike stores a boy from small-time New Zealand could only dream about. Boy oh boy, I was not let down. I could do an entire episode on the bike stores there. They became my surrogate babysitter at times. She would drop me off at Racing World in the morning and pick me up much later in the afternoon, still at the same place, and I would want to go back the next day. I'd never seen so much motorcycling merchandise in one shop before, and being the only foreigner in the shop, they soon came to know my face well. Despite not having a working bike at the time, I wanted to buy what I could. I knew I wanted a blue and white GSX-R750, so I bought leathers to match my yet unbought bike. I bought boots as well, gloves and a helmet, all up around $4,000 worth of riding gear for a bike I didn't have. After a few more weeks in Japan, we returned home and went back to work. It was at work on my first day back that fate was there waiting for me, although I don't believe in fate, but hey, it sounds good. Fate was there in the form of a blue and white Suzuki GSX-R 750 Rad. After rubbing my eyes and pinching myself, I figured it must have been a staff member's new toy. I mean, why would someone trade in such a thing of beauty on a car? One of the owners of the company, John, saw me eyeing it up and came over, and in his English accent said, that would be a bit of you, wouldn't it, mate? Too bloody right, I replied. He told me that it was a potential trade-in, and that if the deal went through, we could talk. From my office desk, that GSXR stared right back at me, and while I didn't want to get my hopes up, I knew I had to have it. The wait for the customer to come back from the overnight test drive with their decision was agonising. During the course of the day, the manager of the yard had once again managed to get under my skin. He had a habit of doing this to all the staff, and the owners were all too aware of his behaviour. I brushed it aside though. There was no sense in letting his poor attitude affect my day, and I had a beautiful GSXR in front of me to keep me positive. Until that is, the owner of the bike came back in, shook his head at the salesman who was serving him, gave back the keys to the car, and rode off on my dream bike. I was dejected. Around an hour before closing, John, who was unfortunately no longer with us, walked past and spotted me looking frustrated, and asked why. I told him that his stupid manager had been up to his old tricks, but not to worry. He nodded and asked what happened with the bike, to which I bluntly said it was gone. The guy didn't want to buy the car. Without batting an eyelid, John looked at me and said, Call him and tell him to bring the bike back. Why? I asked. He didn't want the car. John said, You want the bike, right? My answer was, Of course I did, but having spent a large amount of money on our holiday, I couldn't afford it right now. He told me not to worry about that, we would sort it out later. Just ring the guy before I go home, tell me how much cash you need, and get the bike off him. I was on the phone straight away, negotiated a price, and told him to get to the yard as soon as possible. I went back to John and told him what I needed, only for him to realise he had left his cash at home. Thinking I'd just wasted this guy's time, John ran the other owner of the yard, Richard, and told him to bring me the cash straight away. So, with money in hand, we filled out some paperwork, I handed the guy his cash, and he handed me the key to my dream bike. Now my levers and helmet I'd just bought in Japan had a bike to suit. In the space of seven years, I had come full circle. From being seriously and permanently injured in 1997 on a blue and white Suzuki GSX-R750, I was back in 2004 on another, albeit much newer, blue and white GSX-R750. For the next two years, using the same basic clutch lever modification I came up with on the first bike, I would ride that bike everywhere I could. From back and forth to work in all weather, riding around the city, up the local hills, and yes, including that corner, trips away of friends to time at the local racetrack until I received a phone call one day at the track from the local Suzuki dealer, asking if I was interested in buying a nearly new GSX-R1000, a much more powerful bike, of course, in blue and white. I said no. That wasn't the end of that conversation, however. It turned out that a customer of theirs needed to free up some cash, but wanted to keep riding. They suggested I might pass him my bike and some cash for his newer, more powerful bike. I still said no. I didn't need a more powerful bike, and my GSX-R750 meant a lot to me. The owner persisted though, convincing me and a friend to visit him to at least check it out. Indeed, it was a very nice example, low kilometres and well looked after. But still I said no. A couple weeks later he rang me again and told me to hit him with a figure that would work for me. So, to not be rude, I did. But it was a figure I knew he wouldn't accept. No one in their right mind would. A few days later he rang me back and said, OK. Suddenly I was the owner of a GSXR 1000, one of the King's Superbikes. One I would keep for the next 17 years, still own today, and will never sell. Over the past 17 years, there have been a lot of adventures on this bike. Trips away with friends, solo adventures, regular rides to popular local riding destinations, casual track time, a day racing it, perfecting wheelies and other stunts, riding displays at the track, bike shows, and unfortunately a couple of crashes along the way. The first was another high side accident, but thankfully on the track, so despite this crash being at twice the speed of my accident in 1997, I walked away unscathed. The same couldn't be said for the bike however, but a good friend and I spent most nights after work for 3 months redesigning its look and rebuilding it. The second crash was leaving work one day, my own fault again. Too much throttle on cold tyres on a rough intersection had me eating pavement and a traffic light pole. I actually broke my left shoulder and elbow in that crash, but as I have no feeling in those areas I didn't know. It was only after 10 days when the swelling hadn't gone down that I went to the doctor and they quickly sent me off for an x-ray. Whoops. Sitting in my garage right now I have two GSX-R 1000s, my main one that I've owned for 17 years and another of the same generation that I picked up cheap as a complete spare parts bike. When I can I hope to add a third bike, something a little more suited for town riding, something that is more fun at reasonable speeds. I have a display of helmets, past and present, a display of unused left hand gloves, there's levers hanging up, pictures of bikes on the wall. Most of my closest friends are riders too. When we get together, we talk bikes, work on bikes, watch bike racing. Clichéd as it is, if you would told me back in late 1997 this is how it would be, I would have asked you if you had bumped your head. Despite being the reason I'm partially disabled and in pain, I just can't get enough of riding. There are all the reasons you'll hear from any rider. The freedom, the connection between rider and machine, the exposure to the elements, the feeling of carving a series of corners up, the power and speed available, the mechanical nature of motorcycles and the friendships that you cultivate, and so many other reasons. But for me, there's more to it than just that. What I have achieved by returning to motorcycling is the essence of the message in my journey, that of overcoming adversity and taking back control where you can, even if that adversity seems to be impossible and that control found in a place you least expected to find it. And I haven't just dipped my toes back in the water, I've owned this, and I've made it look damn good. I'm no expert rider. I still am learning every day. There are faster riders than me, more talented riders than me, safer riders, wiser riders, all sorts. But I'm happy with what I've achieved on my bike. From performing stunt riding displays at the track, a little bit of racing, and I didn't finish last, helping new riders on the road and track, long journeys away of friends. I've done this all with only one arm. When people have seen footage of me doing wheelies at over 200km an hour, I often hear, I couldn't do that with two arms. My reply always is, don't feel bad, neither can I. Just like I have with my injury in general and the pain, I've taken control where I can, I've owned it and I've had fun doing it too. Returning to riding has not only been inspiring for me personally, but it has also had that effect on other disabled riders. I mentioned in episode 6, Living the Lucky Life, how one-armed Bob from Canada only decided to get back into riding because he had seen what I had accomplished. You heard how much joy it brought him to be riding again, that he feels more complete that he is back on a bike. I can't begin to express how rewarding that is for me, that because I decided I needed to make my life more complete, that I wanted the joy riding brings again, someone 14,000 kilometres away who I've never physically met was inspired by what I did to do the same. I've had people on the internet ask if they can use my setup to try to get back riding as well. People who have seen my posts and been motivated by my actions. Riding has become a therapy of sorts for me too. I touched on this in the second episode. I still get pain when I'm riding, even when I'm having the time of my life on the bike. When I'm fully focused on guiding the bike through a set of fast-flowing corners, the pain can snap at me. Bearing in mind that I know I'm in no danger, I can ride through the pain, diverting my focus to what is required, controlling the bike. When you're at pace, shall we say, through a series of corners, leaning as much as you dare, there is no pause button. I can't just go, wait, give me a moment. I must get through it. My survival depends on it. This is a great test for me because the resilience I require in that situation can also be conjured up in other situations. It's not resilience through fighting the pain. I never fight the pain. It's resilience in making sure I can maintain my composure even in the most demanding of circumstances. It doesn't need to be for long, maybe 30 seconds, maybe a few minutes, but it's enough to make me stronger, to empower me. It's not only at speed that the pain can raise its head, but it can also happen when just cruising, say around town. During these times I am reminded how much I enjoy riding, and how lucky I am despite my injury to be riding at all, on a bike that means so much to me. The title of this week's episode can be taken a couple of different ways. Some people see me as being mad to get back on motorcycles again. These people don't ride. To me, though, it's about my mad love affair with bikes. Motorcycling pushes me to my extremes at times, and I love it for that. Whether it's controlling the bike on one wheel, front or rear, passing someone into a corner hard on the brakes, feeling the rear twist and slip under hard acceleration, all done with one arm, or coping with pain management in a time and place that I need to be focused on getting the bike through a corner, it makes me feel alive, in control. I'm riding a high performance bike in a way that defies my paralysis without doubt, better than when I had by farms. I owe much gratitude to many people over the years who have helped me with my passion. To my two brothers who supported their annoying younger siblings' desire to ride. To Jonathan who sold me my first bike after the accident. To John and Richard for helping me attain their SRAD GSXR, To Malcolm for spending so many nights helping rebuild my current bike and all the other work you've done. But most of all, thank you to motorcycles in general. Motorcycling may have taken a lot from me, but it has given me back tenfold more. I literally wouldn't be who I am today without them, and I believe that is cause for celebration. Thanks once again for being a part of my journey. Next week's episode is on a subject that still makes me uncomfortable, being seen as inspirational. From how at first I couldn't see why, to now using it to help others, it's been a journey of its own. Don't forget to check out my website at onewingkiwi.com. I'll be adding more content to it as I can. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think could benefit from it. I've already seen firsthand how it is making an impact, and I want to extend that as far as possible. To all of you, thanks for listening to my podcast. We all have busy lives, so you taking the time to listen and share means a great deal to me. Have a great week, take care, and I'll see you next time.